Good morning. This morning, my brother and I will be reading uh, Genesis 37, verses 23 through 36, which you can find in your pew Bible on page 29. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it. See whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. This is the word of the Lord. So beautiful. Thank you so much, Jody. That reminds me so much of the psalm we talked about last week, Psalm 131, the shortest psalm in all of Scripture, and it, it, it ends with that beautiful image of, be, of, of a child uh, laying, its, laying his head against his mother and the mother rocking the child, and we need that amidst adversity, whether it's wrestling with God like we talked about last week or this week as we talk about betrayal. I remember back in the late 90s, a gentleman named Paul Stoltz Stoltz wrote a best-selling book, not about your IQ, which stands for what? Can somebody help me? Intelligence quotient, but AQ. Does anybody remember that book? It it studies your what? Does anybody know? Your adversity quotient. Has anybody heard of that? It's an interesting study. You can go online and take it, and bottom line, what it does is it measures your capacity for personal resilience amidst adversity. And when you look at the story of Joseph, it's amazing because I'm quite certain that one of the most difficult adversities that you and I face from time to time is betrayal. You talk about something that can wound, that can, that can, that can hurt, that can be sort of raw for quite some time indeed, betrayal. But we see here that Joseph has an amazing AG, adversity quotient. He never gave up. Even amid the, the adversity of betrayal multiple times, he was betrayed by his brothers. You know the story. He was betrayed by Potiphar's wife. He was betrayed by the cupbearer in prison because he gave him words of encouragement and said, you're going to get out soon. But once the cupbearer left and was restored to the position of cupbearer for Pharaoh, it says he forgot all about Joseph. But really the primary betrayal was at the hands of his own flesh and blood, his brothers. That got it all started. But you know the rest of the story. He was an effective interpreter of dreams. He helps Pharaoh interpret his own dreams And because of the productive work that comes out of that to prevent or be at least be ready for a famine, he becomes a prince of Egypt. And later when the famine comes, he's proven correct. And during that famine, his brothers come to Egypt to get food, to take back home. 
And you know that marvelous story about when they are reconciled. And then they go back and get Joseph's father, whom he has not seen for years, Jacob. He comes along. But then Jacob dies. Daddy Jacob dies. And this is where the brothers who are still staying in Egypt with Joseph are frightened. Because they are certain that now that dad is gone, he's going to exact revenge upon all of us. But there's that wonderful passage in Genesis 50, 20 that says that Joseph spoke kindly to them and said, you have no reason to worry. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for, can somebody fill it in? God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So how does this witness of Joseph speak to you and me when we are betrayed by someone or by an institution or whatever it might be? Well, first of all, don't deny the betrayal. (laughs) Don't ignore it. Don't gloss it over. Don't, Don't deny it. It's important to realize Joseph did not minimize the severity of their sins against him. He told his brothers, you meant this for evil. You intended to harm me. He did not gloss it over. And and his believers were not meant to gloss it over. We will acknowledge the severity of a betrayal. And we've got to keep in mind that people will let you down in this life, whether at work or at school or at home, in relationships. It happens to all of us. That's exactly why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. He's saying, hey, it's a fallen world. We're imperfect. People are going to wound you. And guess what? You sometimes wound and betray others as well. But I want to focus on when you experience betrayal. First of all, obviously, you can't deny it and you need to expect it. But also, don't lower yourself to the level of the betrayal or the betrayer. And that's easier said than done. I know that. There are two common responses to betrayal. One is to retaliate. The other is to be bitter, or it's a combination of both. And we can do both in rather loud or subtle ways, as you well know. And the brothers are afraid that now that Joseph's in power, he's going to exact revenge. He's going to retaliate and act upon whatever bitterness they're guessing he has within him. But he did not retaliate against them. And think about it. He did not, once he reached that point of power, he did not act against Potiphar's wife. He did not act against the cupbearer who had forgotten about him. I mean, I can just see him walking past the cupbearer of Pharaoh someday saying, look at the position I'm in now, you low down, and this is what I'm going to do to you. But he doesn't. He doesn't lower himself to that level of betrayal or acting like a betrayer. And I know I've talked about this before, but this is so important to keep in mind. Because one of the most troubling verses when I was a child was where Jesus says in Sermon on the Mount about if someone strikes you on the right cheek, what does he say to do? Turn the other. Did that ever bother you? Let me say very quickly, nowhere in Scripture does Jesus and nowhere in Scripture does God ever condemn self-defense. Nowhere. And that's not what it's talking about there. And I wish we had time. I've never dramatized this with Keith, and I'm so tempted to, but but I'm not going to uh, because he hasn't been here since I did this. But true. This is very, very true. It says, and there's an important modifying word there, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, just trust me on this, what it's talking about is if someone takes their right hand and gives you a backhanded slap on the face. That was considered four times worse than a closed fist. If you were caught and taken before the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish high court, if it was a closed fist and you were found guilty, you had to pay 100 sous. Guess what? If you just did a backhanded slap, even if it was a tap, It was four times worse. You had to pay back 400 sous. Why is this worse? What does that signify or what does it mean? What message does it have? Somebody help me. Demeaning? What is it? Ridicule? 
kind of lowering the person. In fact, this is what I want you to know. Turning the other cheek has nothing to do with being bullied. It has all to do with being baited. Are you with me? It's about being baited into something. It's the temptation to lower yourself to the level of, in our context here, a betrayer or a betrayal. And you're tempted to do just that. But Jesus says, no, it is better for you, if you can, to rise above that and walk away. Even get to the point of, God help me, forgiving the person. Goodness, this week. If I, if I say the name Malala, raise your hand if you know of whom I speak. Malala. Very possible that she will get the Nobel Peace Prize this Friday, not for certain, but she's the 16-year-old Pakistani girl who was shot at point-blank range by a Taliban, I, I was, the word came, thug, okay, I'll use the word, he lives up to that terminology, so I'll use that, don't use that often as a pastor, but she was shot at point-blank range and survived, and what was the reason she was shot? Because she thinks that Pakistani girls and girls all across the globe have a right to an education, and she's been spending time in America. I know she met the president the other day. She's been on some talk shows. And she was uh, interviewed by Diane Sawyer the other day. And, and I'm not, I, it was just amazing because Diane Sawyer asked her, did you ever think at night about what you would do if you were ever attacked? Before the shooting, did you ever think about what you would do? And this is a 16-year-old girl. This is what she said. For years, I thought, should I keep a knife under my pillow? Or should I, she said, should I hit him with my shoe? I love that. But she said, no, I decided I would not lower myself to the level of the attacker. I would speak to him on behalf of education, on behalf of all girls in the world, even my attacker's daughters, and then I would tell him, do whatever you have to do. Wow, you talk about an AQ off the charts, an adversity quotient off the charts. And she is following that. You know, when you're betrayed, don't lower yourself to the level of that experience of betrayal that you have don't want to exact revenge and bring about the same kind of betrayal upon this person and don't lower yourself to the point of the betrayer who did let you down jesus is clear on that and it's not worth it in fact jesus goes further in the sermon on the mount to say what you've got to let go of the bitterness got to let go of it there's a renowned psychologist and educator named martin seligman and this sounds simple but but think about putting it into practice He said, it is far more important to learn to deal with the negative than to be positive. Let me say that again. It is far more important to learn how to deal with the negative than to be positive. You know, the brothers of Joseph were fearing a, what do we call it when we're so angry and bitter at someone and we kind of nurse it, we nurture it inside of ourselves? We're holding a what against someone? We're holding a grudge. That's exactly what Jesus addresses in that passage in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you have heard that it was said, do not murder. I mean, that's in the top ten. But then what does he say right after that? But I say to you that if you are angry with someone, you will be liable to judgment. And this is where it's important to understand what he's saying here. Understand the word. Because the word there is orgasmenos in the Greek, and it doesn't doesn't condemn the emotion of anger. You remember later on, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, what? Be angry, but do not sin. Does the Bible, does Jesus, do, 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 they, do they condemn the emotion of anger per se? No, not, not at all. Did Jesus ever get angry? Jesus indeed got angry. What does he condemn? The mishandling of the anger. And one of the primary ways we can do that, especially if we are betrayed, is to feed this spirit of bitterness within us. You know what I'm talking about. We can nurture that, can't we? You ever been bitter towards someone who let you down and you, you almost... Think about bad things happening to them and you like it. How many of y'all have ever done that? Raise your hand. The rest of y'all are lying like dogs, but anyway. 
But in all seriousness, what Jesus is saying there is don't let it, because the word there, orgasmenos, connotes continuous action. Literally, what it means there is anyone who is continuously angry with someone. The New English Bible translates it best. Anyone who nurses his anger towards someone. Get rid of that. Get rid of the bitterness. Because really what Jesus is saying is, guess who it's eating up more than anybody else? You. Not the betrayer. Not the act of betrayal. But it's really eating you up. You've got to let it go. Easier said than done. Indeed, it is a process. And yet that's what you're called to do. And I think there comes a point, and we've talked about this before, because what did Jesus say? Sometimes you have to forgive someone not just seven times, but somebody help me. 70 times 7. Jesus himself is saying (laughs) forgiveness is a process sometimes. 70 times 7 meant a lot of times. And it's not just saying be forgiving whatever happens. It's saying if someone has done you wrong, it takes a while. Say you forgive them. Pray to God to help you forgive them fully. And and it's a process sometimes. But I will say this. Sometimes you've got to step outside of yourself and take a higher view. You know, Joseph had that capacity with his AQ, you know, you meant it for evil, I see that, but, but I stepped outside myself, took the high view, and saw that God meant it for good. Joseph was betrayed multiple times, but he never gave up, and people will let you down, and you know that, but don't ever, I, I love this, I heard, it, heard a senior adult say this just this past week, you don't quit when the snow gets up to your knees, I like that, don't quit. you got to rise above that betrayal you have faced, and I know some of us have faced it more severely than others in life whether a long time ago or even now, but at some point it takes our rising above that, which is why I love Psalm 27. It begins, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? For the Lord is with me. He is the stronghold of my life. And there's that beautiful passage a little bit later on where it says that he will set me high on a rock. Even though enemies encamp all around me, he will set me high on a rock. And I love that because it's saying he's going to set me up there and I'm going to be able to take more the God's eye view, if you will, and see the forest before the trees, and dare God to help me understand, okay, I can ask all day, why did this happen to me? But now I need to say, what now, and how is God working in and through me? How can I actually see Romans eight twenty eight working in and through this, in all things God works for good, whatever has happened? But sometimes we've got to step outside and rise above it and see the past, the present, and the future of the whole dynamic and realize that God is moving it all for the good. you got to step outside yourself, though. Isn't it interesting that two of the most popular movies or stories at Christmas time involve somebody kind of stepping outside of themselves and looking back into the past and the present and the future? Anybody can think of one of them? Christmas Carol, definitely. And in a different way, when he's on the bridge, do you know who I'm talking about? <laughs> Wasn't bad with the microphone, thank you. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, that wasn't planned, but... Yes, George Bailey in that wonderful, wonderful movie, It's a Wonderful Life. It's interesting that in both of those Christmas stories, it involves them stepping outside of themselves and looking at the past and in the present and in the future in a a much more um, uh, holy manner. We need to do that and let God set us high on a rock and see the big picture and trust his sovereignty. We talked about uh, Daniel's name this morning about, you know, Uh, God will judge these things, and who is like God anyway? We cannot understand all of his ways, and we've got to trust that. You know, it's interesting as you read the Joseph narrative in the book of Genesis, right after he is betrayed by his brothers, there's a beautiful phrase, and the Lord was with Joseph. Read the narrative right after uh, Potiphar's wife betrays him. What does it say once again? And the Lord was with Joseph. It's a way that, that the story is telling us Joseph knew that God was with him even at that present 
moment. In fact, Joseph was even trusting then, long before he became a prince, that God was going to work in and through this. Again, what did he say to his brothers when they're worried he's going to exact revenge? He says to them what? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, which is the saving of many lives. Wow. He knew that good was going to come out of this. Out of the woundedness of betrayal, he knew that good would come out of it. Now, I know that's easier said than done to trust it, but we are so called to do that. He also knew that God would, you know, was with him in the past. He would be with his people in the future. It's, it's interesting. Uh, he had two sons. This reminds me of dedicating uh, Daniel Micah this morning. Joseph's first two sons, whom he had with an Egyptian princess, he gave them these names, and I think it's beautiful. Manasseh, which means what? God has helped me forget all my tribulation, not deny it, but get over my tribulation. And Ephraim, which means literally, for God has helped me bear fruit in the land of my suffering. <laughs> Put those names together. In spite of this, this suffering through betrayal, God has helped me flourish. And God will do that for you and for me as well. And that's Joseph's promise for us as his church. Look at one of the final verses in all of Genesis when Joseph is dying. He gathers together some of the Israelite leaders and tells Israel, basically, I am dying, but the God who was there for Abraham, Israel, and Jacob will get you to the promised land. Don't give up. Don't give up hope. He has been there in the past for us. He's here for us in the present, and indeed, he will be here for us in the future. Joseph was able to step outside, rise above it, and see the big picture. But, you know, I really see that as a precursor to when God looked down and stepped down, stepped out of eternity and into our reality in the form of Jesus, his son. And you talk about entering into suffering. You talk about one who entered into the suffering of betrayal, as you know. And yet even through that brokenness that he experienced, even through the shedding of his blood, the brokenness of his body, he calls us to use his weapon amidst betrayal, which is unconditional love. It's what he calls us to do. Keep in mind that sometimes we will be beset by betrayal. Sometimes we wind up being the betrayers. And I'll be honest, and I've listened to my share of commencement addresses. Uh, There was one I heard years ago that I actually remember. I remember the three points anyway, because it was a businessman who got up and he said, you know, I'm I'm in hardcore business here. It can be brutal out there. I know what it's like. It can be dog-eat-dog out there. But this, I want want to tell you three things I have learned, because I'm not... I'm not innocent myself. He said, trust yourself, but not too much. Trust other people, but not too much. And trust God, and him you can trust all your life. As we move toward the table, I'd like for us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want you, as we enter into this divine meal, this wonderful meal, let us remember the one who was betrayed at the hands of one who was so close to him, If you have been betrayed in some manner yourself, remember the one who experienced the worst kind of betrayal that led to the worst kind of suffering. And yet, what did he do even on the cross? He forgave. And through his death, suffering and death, he offers us now new life, which is what we remember now as we experience the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, which means giving thanks for the good gift. Oh, Lord, be with us now. We confess to you that Sometimes our emotions are raw because of when we have been let down by someone. Or we might be mired in guilt because we have let someone else special to us down. Lord, whatever it might be, we now come limping to the table. 
We ask that you be with us as we are served the bread, served the drink. And may we be reminded again of your incredible, incomparable grace that you showed. Yea, even on the cross, even amid the worst betrayal, forgive us when we betray you, O God, on a regular basis. But may our observance of this meal lift ourselves a bit from ourselves and take the longer view of how you are working all for good. We pray these things in your name. Amen. And Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We who have all betrayed him in the past and present and will in the future give thanks for him now for what he offered us, the greatest gift of all. Take and eat and remember. After the bread, Jesus took the cup and said, This is the new testament, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. There are some ancient words from the Church of Scotland that say, We come to this table not because we must, but rather because we may. We come to this table not because we're strong, but rather we understand that we're weak. We come not because we have perfect faith, but we come with questions and with doubts. But we come nonetheless because Jesus has invited us. And we will never be turned away. We now come to a song of commitment. I'm going to be standing at the front if someone feels led to make some type of public decision to accept Christ for the first time or move your membership, whatever it might be. If nothing else, where you stand and where you sing, might, might you sing these words like you really mean them. Let's stand together and sing. <laughs> 